This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Danny Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Glenn Washington, the host of Snap Judgment, uh, which is heard on over 400 NPR stations every week. He also hosts the podcasts Heaven's Gate and Spooked. Before Snap Judgment, Glenn composed music for the Kunststoff dance performances in San Francisco, performed spoken word poetry in Detroit, joined a band in Indonesia, wrote screenplays, painted a series of daring self-portraits, released a blues album. Glenn, hello. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for squeezing us into what sounds like a remarkable schedule. Hey, you know. It's a bay. We got to do stuff, right? Yes. Yes, we do. Um, well, I'm really glad that you're here bringing like uh, a real sense of like togetherness and like I get my stuff done and I have eight different things on my schedule and I'm showing up today having just left my keys in Hawaii. It's uh, a shame. So it, I, we're just going to get to bring two different energies and my energy will be one of panic and self-recrimination and yours will be one of um, composition. <laughs> um. And I think it's really good that we're starting off on one of my favorite kinds of question, which is like unbelievably low level, totally safe. No one's going to get hurt. Everyone's going to be okay. But like full of a sense of like, am I being wronged? Am I being disrespected? Someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Someone's yeah. going to get hurt. I just don't know. who. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Would you read that letter for us? I'd be glad to. The subject is a toilet paper mystery. Dear Prudence. I live with three other women, all very nice and keep to themselves. There's not a lot of room in the communal areas, so we just mostly stay in our own rooms. Our schedules are all very different anyways. Recently, I found that one of my roommates had replaced my roll of toilet paper, ultra soft, triple ply, with their own super thin, scratchy toilet paper. I glanced up and saw that my roll of toilet paper was placed on one of the cabinets still barely used. I suppose it's not such a big deal. I used my toilet paper and just carried it back to my room, but it feels weird. Then I suffered through the other toilet paper, waited it out until it ran out, and then replaced it with my own softer version. I thought about the possibility that my brand doesn't dissolve as easily as a thinner roll of toilet paper, and maybe whichever roommate did this was just preventing the toilet from backing up, but... I guess even if that's true, it doesn't make me feel good. This is my apartment, too, and I want my own brand of toilet paper in the holder sometimes. Even though I can and did use my own roll anyway, it's just annoying to see the brazen disrespect. Although, just as I don't know which roommate did this, whoever it is probably doesn't know whose toilet paper they replaced. I guess my question is, Am I being silly for letting this bother me? Or is it totally normal to be annoyed? Please validate my feelings. This, um, I feel like you have, you have gone to blatant disrespect too soon, letter writer. 
Well, that was a very soft way to put it. I, I think you have, um, you got to save this level of uh, distress for I've had 19 conversations about this and it hasn't gone anywhere. Like, you haven't even talked to your roommates. This could have been a 30-second conversation, very low-key, very polite, just like, oh, hey, I noticed a new roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. Did anybody replace mine? I prefer three-ply. Would we like to pool together a couple of bucks a month to buy toilet paper together? If not, I'll just keep using mine. Boy, it seems simple. Um, How about this? Um, Congratulations, everybody. I just sprung on some super soft plush toilet paper for everybody's behinds. Yeah. Congratulations. You live in a palace now. You're welcome. Uh, There you go. I really think, honestly, I think that this is a a cry for help. Yeah. I think the whole, like, we're all very nice and keep to ourselves thing has maybe reached its limit. And and what may actually be going on here is um, incredibly conflict avoidant. I'm really afraid that anytime somebody doesn't anticipate my needs or read my mind, that they are, in fact, trying to step all over me. And I don't trust that if I ask for what I want, that I'll be listened to with respect. You asked for us to please validate your feelings. This I cannot do. Um, it's time to be a big, a big grown woman. And um, if you have a toilet paper issue in the household, maybe discuss it with people first. But there's a million reasons why the toilet paper might have been moved. Um, maybe somebody had an accident. Maybe and this is my this is my what I was thinking. This is what I think. I don't have any evidence for this, but I think maybe someone saw this special three ply stuff and they're like, "Lord have mercy, she's such a pain that if I use this stuff up, she's going to come back and have some kind of problem." I don't deserve this. I don't. I'm just going to go. I don't even want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Let me just go ahead and get this other toilet paper and do my business. Mm-hmm. So I don't even have to deal with her crazy nonsense. And, you know, I, I just think that there are other things in the world that I think you need to have a maybe a party or, or give something back or do something because uh, I think that you're fixating on the wrong thing. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity to reevaluate your priorities. This is a very easy conversation to have, even if it is the worst case scenario and your roommate says, yeah, it was me. I think that kind's too expensive. I prefer the scratchy stuff. All you have to do to that is just say, okay, I'm going to keep my own toilet paper in a slightly different spot in the bathroom and nobody's, not use Nobody's yours. doing that. Yeah. Nobody's doing Nobody. There's no evil toilet paper person out there out to use the the, the scratchy stuff to your detriment it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, you are. I, I hope that this is just like a one off in your life and that other areas of your life you feel really equipped to have basic logistical conversations with nice people. But I, I just think that your level of fear here does not match like the friendliness of your roommates that you describe. So maybe this is like your first time living with other people and you come from a home where nobody ever has anything negative or difficult to say. And if so, it's time to unlearn some of that. Good luck. I am excited for this next one because this next one is, I haven't quite gotten a letter like this, which is like, how do I let some know, someone know, like, we never actually hooked up. You just did too much cocaine, um, which I guess is a slight spoiler alert. Uh, but here we go. Um, the subject is not a notch on my lipstick case. Dear Prudence, I worked at a hotel slash country club through the late 80s and early 90s. The place was a hot spot for guests and employees with sex and cocaine on tap everywhere. I had lots of opportunities, but just kept out of it. Now, a new dean at the college where I'm a professor 
worked at the same place as a bartender and a DJ. At the time, he screwed every willing female and did plenty of blow. I'm happy for him that he didn't kill too many brain cells to kill his academic dreams, but apparently his memory of those years is fuzzy. He seems to think we have a past because he remembers that I also worked at the club. He's made comments when he gets me by myself. He seems to think of me as an old conquest. It would be hard for me to avoid him professionally. I just want him to stop. And I also want him to know that we have zero history, except that I was not interested in what he had to offer back then, just like I am now. I have tenure, and I'm in a good position at work. I'm not afraid of him professionally. I just want him to stop referring to a history that never happened. So this, by the way, I, I want to like throw it back to our toilet paper writer. This person's being disrespected. Yes. Yeah, like this, I could maybe see a situation, like this might be a situation where you would be at that level of like, I'm really pissed off. I could see that, but the but the answer also seems pretty equally plain. Yeah, just tell the guy. Yeah, especially tell the guy in the wake of, you say specifically, I'm not afraid of him professionally. I just want him to stop referring to a history that never happened. Mm-hmm. Well then. Did you ask him to stop referring to a history that never happened? More, more specifically, did you tell him to? Yeah. Um, excuse me, I don't appreciate this insinuation from back in the day. That's not how things happen, and I, and, I, and I don't want that to come up anymore. And especially, I don't want you to insinuate it to anybody else. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also say to other people, like, by the way, I'm concerned that, like, Dean Hot Lips has been telling you that we hooked up, and I'm really irritated and frustrated and uh, if he does that to you I'd sure appreciate your letting me know about it but yeah you've got tenure you feel prepared to say this to him by all means say it loudly and often yeah it's 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 so rare that you actually people are coming from a position of strength and a position of power and and wake of this kind of potential victimization 99% 0.9% are not going to be able to say I don't feel professionally afraid of my harasser in that way, or I, I'm in a position of power. Um, my job is not at risk. And I think almost when you have that position like that, it's really incumbent that you set an example of how to use that for yourself, because that's that's one of the best ways that you can be an ally to people who might not yet have tenure mm-hmm. or have those type of protections. They want to see you know, how do you use your power for yourself so they know how to act for themselves? You're, you're, you're setting the culture for your organization no matter what you do. Right. So make sure that you're modeling it correctly, especially when you don't really have anything to lose. Yeah. And I think, too, I, what I read between the lines toward the end is is an unspoken worry, which is what if I say this and he uses his like fuzzy memory to kind of pretend, oh, I just forgot. Or, oh, I must have had you mixed up. Or, oh, it was all just a misunderstanding. And I think at that point, you just get to, like, disagree. You get to let him look foolish. And you don't have to worry about um, buying into any excuses he might make. So if you say that and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I had no idea. um, You don't have to say, oh, well, gee, then I'm sorry. Like, you can just say, what you've been doing has been really inappropriate. Even if we had gone out with each other, I wouldn't want you to address me that way at work now. You need to stop. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> another you need to stop that's yeah. the, you need to stop this now yeah that's it you need to stop and that's great because it's not like an argument that's not a back and forth about whether or not you ever did hook up it's just that you need to stop i mean hopefully he doesn't try to claim that uh more blatantly once you challenge him but again you don't have to um 
convince this guy that you're right. Like he's already seemed pretty committed to acting like a general, like just kind of creepy dude. So you just get to go ahead and, you know, stand firm in the fact that uh, he looks like a, you know, he looks like a fool. He's going around saying like, boy, in the 80s, I did so much cocaine and it was so great. And I hooked up with all these people and all these people get to say things like, no, stop saying that you did not. You were high and embarrassing. Um, yeah. And congratulations on having tenure. That just makes such a big deal. And I hope that this dean um, is out of here relatively quickly. You want to take our next letter? Sure. Subject, weight loss surgery. Dear Prudence, I had weight loss surgery earlier this year. I've lost almost 100 pounds. People have noticed. Some have asked how I've lost the weight and I'm conflicted as to how to answer. I don't want to disclose personal medical information. In part, this is because I told one friend who then asked if I felt I'd really earned the weight loss and health improvements and then lectured me about how I became so unhealthy and overweight in the first place. On the other hand, I don't want to perpetuate a myth that weight loss is easy. Weight loss surgery isn't easy. Nor is it a magic bullet. Nor is weight loss the more common way. I've been telling people part of the truth which is my weight loss with help by increased water intake and a focus on high-quality protein and vegetables, along with more exercise. My sister believes that by saying only this and not disclosing my surgery, I'm part of the problem and acting unethically. What do you think? Man, oh man, if, if every individual human being who gets any kind of weight loss surgery is now personally responsible for... I don't know exactly what, like making sure that everybody else in the world has a perfectly accurate idea of how one person lost weight. That's just way too much pressure to put on any individual. I think that your sister, what she actually means is, I think you should be ashamed of getting weight loss surgery and you should tell everybody because I believe that um, uh, not telling people is like, quote unquote, cheating. Like, that's what I read between those lines there. Yeah. When you say, what do you think? What I think is people should mind their own business. Mm -hmm. I think that you can tell people whatever you feel comfortable telling them. And that's, 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 and that's really the end of it. Now, I think that you don't have to be ashamed of how you lost your weight. Now, and it seems like maybe you harbor some of the same feelings that maybe your sister does or other people do. But I just... And that's and that too is your own business. I can tell you that people lose weight all kinds of different ways, and I, I, I'm I'm proud. I just lost forty pounds. Oh, oh no, I just gained ten. It happened to me just it happened just recently. Um, everyone's got their own individual struggles, their own individual problems, and I just don't know, especially women, the the, the shame that comes from society and now you mentioned your own family members i just think that you should start like um what i'm hoping what i didn't hear in this letter is i feel good yeah i want that for this letter writer i, I feel good i felt good before but i i decided for my own purposes that i was going to lose some weight i lost some weight i decided on a plan of action that made sense for me I did so, 
And um, you said people notice, cool, whatever. But do you notice? What do you what do you think about you? Yeah, I, I think too there can oftentimes be this idea people will have, which is like if somebody notices something about my body and they ask me a question, I'm obligated to answer it. When in fact it is kind of incumbent on all of us to think carefully and be thoughtful and polite before we ask people questions about their bodies. So if somebody asks you a very personal question, just because they asked it doesn't mean you have to good answer. You can absolutely say, thank you. I don't actually feel like discussing my weight loss with you. All right. Or how did you lose weight? Magic. Yeah. How did you lose weight? Uh, uh, cucumber juice. Yeah, just in a an answer that makes it really clear. Nope, not gonna answer this question for you. Right. It's not, you know, um and you know, you you have different relations with different people. Um, some of you might want to be more open about because they're asking you in sincerity. Maybe they're asking you as an uh, an advice. Like I I'll, maybe I wanna do it too. Maybe I don't wanna do it. Um but I you, you just don't you don't owe anybody anything. I think I think that's really the big deal. Yeah. You don't owe anybody jack. Yeah. You did this for you. So make sure that you 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 keep that for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, you know, like you're worried that you're perpetuating a myth that weight loss is easy. Again, if you were personally responsible for any of the myths about weight loss, I'd be very surprised. Um, and you know yourself that the weight loss surgery has not been easy. Um, and, and there's a lot uh, of potential complications that can arise. There's a lot of follow-up you have to do. Your body changes in often really like profound and sometimes painful ways. Like you're you're going through a lot. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you've had one friend that you've tried to go a little bit deeper with about this and they immediately went to, well, did you really earn it? And by the way, isn't it like kind of awful that you got, got like fat in the first place? And that's just like... It's a really judgmental place. It's a really unhelpful, like nothing about what your friend was saying to you was like helpful at all. It was just like, do you feel bad enough yet? And you know what? I think that in general, there's something about our society that wants people to feel bad about their weight. Mm -hmm. We want to, fat people deserve uh, any kind of um, criticism they get. Right. And- we all get to, we all get to be judge and juror, yeah, of where this person has come from, yeah, and and it's ridiculous, and um, and too often, I think that the people who are suffering from that hazing, from that body shaming, have been conditioned to give other people that power, yeah. Because oftentimes the people who love them the most under the guise of concern will say, you need to accept this kind of treatment. And the implication is like, if you feel happy for a few minutes or if you forget about being fat for a couple of minutes, you that's rewarding you. And so my job is to make you feel bad all the time so you'll hate yourself enough to lose weight. Right. But as you can see here, even when you lose the weight, it's not over. People are then like going to make sure. But remember that you used to be fat. Remember how bad that was. You should feel even worse. You should go around carrying a big sign that says, I cheated. I'm really fat on the inside. So everyone can still um, treat you like less of a person. Love you. You love you. Yeah. And maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But you got to love you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I, th- I just think that's it. I think that's it. I don't think you have to answer any more of these questions. I think if your sister or your friend tries to say you're acting unethically, you're part of the problem, you just need to say, like, I don't trust you to talk about my body in a safe and a loving way. So we're not going to do that anymore. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, my guess is they'll be like, oh, how dare you? I'm just concerned. I just love you. And you just get to say, like, I don't experience your concern as helpful. So the most helpful thing you can do is to be neutral and not say anything. Keep on stepping. Yeah. Find any other topic of conversation to talk about. Talk about the movies, talk about the weather, talk about your travel plans, anything else. They're done. They have lost the right to discuss your body and your weight with you Mm. forever. Even if they like eventually really start to toe this line. Great. That doesn't mean you ever need to bring them back into the part of the part of your world where you discuss these things. Right on. I Man, like that. that. I just, yeah. That, that, that felt good to let people, because there's a lot of people who need to hear that right there. So many people. And they need to write it down so they don't forget it. Okay. Again, we get to switch to a nice, light, simple one. Okay. Because I, I got a pretty light, simple answer for this. Is, um, subject. The chirping never stops. Dear Prudence, my neighbor's smoke alarm has been chirping since July. Every 30 seconds. Yes, I timed it. I can hear it from every room in my apartment and outside, too. I can't even imagine how loud it is to him all day and all night. The thought of going over there and asking about it is terrifying, but also awkward. Is this his first home with a smoke alarm? And he just has no clue what's going on? Did he disable the alarm on purpose? He's a smoker, so it seems not too far-fetched. Does he just not care? A friend suggested that he's maybe he's deaf, but I've seen him interact with other folks, and that doesn't seem to be the case. Some people say I should go straight to the landlord. What should I do, Prudence? I can't take this chirping anymore. I want to know why the idea of talking to him is terrifying. It's, it's just, I just think that we've lost, maybe it's a social media intermediary world where someone has to have a phone or a, an app or something in between every single personal communication. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I myself enjoy the apps and I have kind of joked about like if somebody rings my doorbell, I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know you. But I'm able to answer the door and and have a conversation with a neighbor. So, you know, if you regularly feel terrified about talking to a neighbor about something as banal as, hey, your smoke alarm's been going off. Do you need any help with that? Since July. I think, again, there's a there's a bigger problem here. Yeah. To me, that suggests if you feel that level of terror on a regular basis about this kind of interaction, you should be talking to a therapist because I don't want you to have to suffer like that. This is normal, everyday stuff that you should be able to feel equipped to handle, even if it's not fun. Um, you should be able to feel like, okay, I can go do this. I have resources that will make it possible. Every 30 seconds in your own home, you are hearing a chirp. That would drive me batty. Oh, I would have moved if if it couldn't, like... If it couldn't be addressed. Yeah. But here's a way to address it. Hey, um, you know, I'm hearing um, this chirp. I'm wondering if, if there's anything I can do to help you out. Is uh, uh, Because it's, uh, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's annoying me it's, when I'm sleeping. I'll guarantee you this part, like... That's not that's not an aggressive, uh, hostile maneuver. Right. Um, that's how people speak to each other. That's what being a neighbor means. That's right. That's what being a neighbor means. And um, you're going to be all right. It's going to be, hey, uh, can I help you with this? Because right. <laughs> I'm going to help you help me and help each other. 
Um, you can pull up on YouTube what to do with a chirp, like if you don't know how to fix it. Like I don't know how to jump a car, but I've had to pull up on YouTube how to jump a car and it walks me through it. So even if you don't know how, you could look it up and within 10 minutes, you two might have the battery pulled out. Right. And or, or bring some batteries or whatever it may be. If you guys are in the same apartment complex, you probably have the same unit. Mm-hmm. Um, swap it out. Do something. Help a brother out. This is a chance for you because if you are in a con- an apartment or living near a situation, um, you're probably not the only one that's hearing this, which, which really makes me confused as to how people more than one likely and he's having he's having he's speaking to neighbors or speaking to other people when they're over there and is chirping in the background he's being social i I just i there's something going on here that we're not quite reading between the lines from the letter to understand yeah yeah somebody needs to be talking about this make it you go talk to him today um if it if he says, I don't hear it and I don't care, I, I'd be a little surprised if that was his reaction. But sure, at that point, go to your landlord. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to do that's that's that you don't want to deal with anything hostile. Sure. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily go to my landlord for here's a here's a great place. Here it is. Meet your neighbor. Yes. Meet your neighbor. You might need in fact, do this. You might need this guy sometime because just like this, think if you had given your keys to your neighbor right now, our host would be able to get and to his own place with a little fuss. Had I thought to knock on my neighbor's door and just given them my keys, I would not be quite in the situation that I am in right now. Um, and I regret it deeply. <laughs> yeah, but neighbors are great. And even unpleasant neighbors often relax if you introduce yourself, you make eye contact, and you say hi. Right. A little Christmas candy, a little Halloween celebration, a little spring, a little Easter something. That's that's what, Now you're in a community Instead of just a place to live. Yeah. And do that with more of your neighbors, I think, especially if the idea really scares you. When you do it a little bit more often, it will feel less daunting and you will realize that it is possible to say hello to people you don't know and not wither away. And if the idea is so overwhelming that you find you cannot function, then at that point, I would say you should probably talk to your doctor and a therapist about how you can help address that fear because you should not have to live with that unsupported. Um, but yeah, don't don't go through another night with this damn chirping. Go talk to him. Mm. Oh, I can hear like the chirping in my head now. Right now. Like it's, trying it to feels, go to sleep at night feels like it's happening to me. Trying to brush your teeth in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Oh hell, have mercy. Yeah. All right. So this one again, we're we're going to a slightly higher stakes uh, situation. The subject is don't want family members drinking around our baby. Dear Prudence. My husband and I both come from a long line of alcoholics. Only my brother and mother have put down the bottle for good, and that's only with the help of AA and a lot of work. My husband's family members all still drink regularly and heavily and see nothing wrong with it. My husband no longer drinks, which can be very difficult for him, and I never started due to the fear that I might carry an alcoholic gene. We recently got pregnant and have decided that we do not want our child to grow up around alcohol. But I don't know how to tell the various drinkers on both sides of the family. At least I'll have two people who will understand, but what about my husband? What's worse is the two people in his family that will inevitably react the worst are his father and sister. They also happen to be the family members he loves the most. Despite the fact that my husband is a recovering alcoholic, his family drinks in front of us at every gathering, and they often offer him alcohol even after he's told them how harmful this is to his sobriety. He's somewhat resentful about their disregard for his sobriety and is planning on telling them that they can't drink around the baby. 
and that we will no longer attend family functions that involve drinking. While I feel like he's justified, I seriously doubt he'll get the reaction he's hoping for, and I think he's going to end up heartbroken and without the comfort and joy that his family gives to him. I totally agree with his feelings, and I don't believe alcohol has a place in the life of our baby, but I also hoped this little one was going to have a support system larger than just us. This is a tough one. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to answer this question is to take a step way, 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 way back. I'm going to say this. What is it that you want, and what is it you hope to accomplish? Hmm. Because I think it's you're talking about the baby here. And it seems like, number one, I totally agree that you need to take care of your health. Yeah. you got That's very, very important for, for lots of different reasons for everybody. But I also know this. It seems like the way that this is being written, that the baby is going to become a tool. Hmm. A tool of what? Um, okay. I'm not being respected properly in my situation. And now I finally got something that's going to be able to punish the rest of the family for that lack of respect. If that's the case, I would really think very seriously about how you're going about this. And understand this, number one, that most non-alcoholic, or let's just say most people who are not in a recovery situation they don't understand what recovery is. They mm-hmm. don't understand how it affects people. They don't understand that it's not something that you get over. Right. It's something that you're always fighting. They don't get it. They don't They don't know it. They don't see it like that. And they don't necessarily say, um, I'm doing this to disrespect you. Oh, you don't drink anymore. Okay, that's cool. But I'm, I, that's that has nothing to do with me. Or I might forget or whatever it may be. That's not how they're looking at things. And I would say this as well. You've got to... There's not sometimes it's not a perfect answer, mm-hmm. and so think about it this way: if you decide that you're going to cut off your child from his family, understand the price that that comes with. I myself, I'm, I'm, my parents decided to join a cult, move in the middle of nowhere, mm. and I lost my cousins, I lost my extended family. In a way, I lost my grandmother, my grandparents, mm-hmm. in a way that still hurts me today. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was having uh, a pain at this cleavage. And then I realized I have a cousin who didn't know any of us, any of us until he was like 16 or 17 years old. And he just wept to me about it just a little bit ago. He's like, I, I feel like I was robbed. Mm-hmm. Now, I am nowhere advocating that you need to raise your family, your kid, around a caustic environment. Mm-hmm. There are certain environments where absolutely pull the kid away. Absolutely. A granny and grandma, grandparents are not going to be, their positive impact will not outweigh the negative impact or whatever it may be. I'm just saying, think about it. Think about it long and hard and understand what it is you're doing. If, if this is the best choice, because it is, it can have a profound impact to take a kid away from their extended family and, the, and, and everybody needs a community to raise a kid. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because it balances both. You're absolutely right to have real concerns here and to want to set limits. And I also think, I, I, I see this here, what looks like you and your husband have not 
been able to effectively communicate things that aren't okay. And now that the child is coming, there's this kind of sense of like, okay, at last we have an excuse outside of our needs to say, you can't do this anymore. And so there's just this hope of we can just once and for all end our relationship, even though previously there's been some sort of, at least at times, intermittent love, joy, community, shared experience. That all has to go now. And so my first thought is you mentioned that your brother and your mother have um, gotten a lot out of the program of AA. So I'm curious if you and your husband would consider going to a couple of meetings of Al-Anon. Um, or, you know, I know some people um, prefer a totally, totally secular alternative. I know that there are also um, completely uh, non-spiritual uh, uh, analogs to Al-Anon. So I would say, especially with this baby still on the way, find a meeting near you and go to a couple. Um, go to more than one. Go kind of assuming that at first you will feel a little embarrassed and a little ridiculous and a little bit like nobody here is in a situation like yours. That's okay. That's pretty normal. Um, and, and try to get a sense of what other people have done to achieve safety, peace, serenity, usefulness, regardless of whether or not the alcoholics in their life stop drinking and what that looks like, what kind of boundaries they've been able to maintain, what kind of things they've been able to let go of um, when they've had to draw a line and when they haven't, so that you know you're not the only people who have had to negotiate dealing with a family of alcoholics. I think that will help. I just want to stop there for a second because mm -hmm. you say that your family drinks a lot. You don't say they're alcoholics. You say that your husband's an alcoholic. And like, there's lots of people who drink that aren't alcoholic who well, it does start with we both come from a long line of alcoholics. Sure. But, yeah, it's unclear, like, whether or not the siblings are more just, like, problem drinkers and grandpa was the real alcoholic. Yeah, it does seem like there's a little bit of a question there. Well, it's just it's just that, you know, yeah, you don't want to hand your infant to an alcoholic person. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, just that's, that's kind of a game, set, match on that. Um, someone who's going to be dangerous or something around the— Around a child, you don't want to have any. You don't want to have your kid in any unsafe situations, um, and when, especially when they're avoidable. Um, but people have different relationships with alcohol, and um, if we're having a complete, you know, there shall not be alcohol around my kid rule, then um, that's you know that's your business, mm -hmm. and you have to find ways that. To, how are you going to manage that? How are you going to manage that with your family? Um, What's the, what's the what's the cost of that? What 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 events can you go to and what events can't you? Mm -hmm. It's just uh, you know it just I, all I'm saying is get that step back for a minute and figure out what you really want your relationship to be with your family and what you want that kid's relationship to have with his not just you're not you know the kid when you don't bring a kid to a family event it's not that he doesn't talk to his uncle it's that he doesn't talk to his cousins. Mm -hmm. The, the the three and four and five year old sort of um, a greater clan they're not drinking yeah and you and do you want them to have a relationship with those people maybe you do maybe you don't think about it yeah I think that's really helpful and I think the only thing that I would add is it, it may also help to at least before you say we're cutting you off forever at least um, give them the opportunity to say we would love for you to come meet the baby here's what we need from you we need you to not be drunk and you can't bring alcohol with you. If that's something that you can do for one afternoon, come on over. And if you can't, let us know if that ever changes. 
there may be some people who will be able to meet that requirement. Um, there may be some who are not able to, but I think you'll feel a lot more um, at peace with whatever happens if you start with here is your opportunity. And then, you know, if they're not able to do that, then you can just really like calmly say like, hey, we agreed about this. Since you're not sober, I'm not going to be able to let you in. I, I hope that you will try this again later. But Right. And you and your husband is basically mentioning as well, he doesn't appreciate people drinking in front of him after he's told them that he's had this issue. You have to take his health very, very seriously. Yeah, especially when they're offering him alcohol. Yes, that's yeah. very, like, you don't want to, if he's telling you, I can't be playing, I can't be playing with this, take that very, very seriously. Yes, yeah. And, and I just think also for you, letter writer, because your husband is a recovering alcoholic, being a part of Al-Anon, even though he is in recovery, um, may be really helpful to you. Um, oftentimes, people who you know embark upon recovery don't necessarily find that like all of the kind of feelings or impulses or character traits that led them to drink unhealthily go away. And so you may continue to find relief and support from attending Al-Anon or meetings like Al-Anon, even if your husband is sober at the time. And let me just say this, too. I want to this is really, really important. That goes to the heart of what you're going on after here is that sometimes people say the opposite of of uh, addiction is sobriety. But more and more research from what I've learned is that the opposite of addiction is actually community. Hmm. And you want to find a community of some sort. The people who don't have community uh, that supports them are those that have the hardest time staying on a sober path. So whatever, if you do decide that your family is not going to be a part of this kid's life, make sure that you have a community that is. Yeah. And that your husband has a community as well. I, I think that that's just it. And especially because your fear is you wanted a support system larger than just us. I think with the family members, you can hope and invite them into community, but prepare yourself for that community to often be limited. Um, and, and so think about who are the other people that I can call in? Who are the close friends? Um, how can I deepen my relationship with uh, my sober relatives and whoever else may be in their lives? Um, who are the other people that are going to fill in and, and fill those gaps? Because you're going to need that um, when the baby comes. And just good luck. I hope I get to hear from you again. I would love to know how you're doing six months, a year from now. Congratulations on the new baby. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Clint, we actually have a little bit of time. If you're amenable, we'd like to play a voicemail and answer that. Sure. Is that all right by you? Hi, Prudence. I have a dilemma. I bought a house with my partner five years ago, um, but then we broke up a year after that, so four years ago. And he is now saying that he doesn't want me living in the house. Um, we both live together in this house, but we have separate floors. He has the second floor as an apartment, and I have the first floor as an apartment. And instead of moving out, he wants me to move out. And he's saying that he doesn't want to live with me, which he doesn't even really live with me because we have separate apartments. So I'm just wondering what you think I should do or what kind of course of action I should take or can take in this situation. Thank you. Okay, so 
to me, the answer seems pretty straightforward, which is check the like lease that you, you know, check whatever you signed when you two bought the place and then um, consult a lawyer. I don't believe that your boyfriend, sorry, ex-boyfriend has a legal right to say we bought this house together, but move out. Now, um, you got to talk to a lawyer and um, let's see what your what your rights are. I would imagine that you there was some sort of agreement made that when you guys made the split. And here's my issue, though. There are things that you can do legally and there's things that you should actually do. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate to say this. I really do, because it's I. I my concern is that you have every right to stay in your place. You do. And maybe he has every right as well. And sometimes you got to do, forget the rights, you got to do what's right for you. And is it healthy for you to be in a house with your former boyfriend who is hostile towards you being there? Um, Even if you have every right to be there. Everyone has to answer that question differently. For me, my answer would be, you know what? Let me cash out. Let me find, I can, I'm going to find a place down the street. I'm going to go somewhere else because I, do, I don't want to come home. My home has got to be a refuge. Mm-hmm. And I can't come home to this craziness, to this hostility all the time. I've already cut him out of my, my life personally, at least at, at one level. Now I'm going to have to go the whole way. Yeah. And sometimes you have to bite the bullet for your own personal sanity. That's me. Yeah. Everyone's going to look at that differently, and it might actually hurt you more to leave this place. So you decide. But I'm just saying, decide what's right for you, for your whole living things. And sometimes um, those just doing what a lawyer says do might not be the best option for your life. Right. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. And I think you should consider conversation with a lawyer as the beginning of your consideration of all of your options rather than the lawyer will tell me what to do and I will go do that. Um, It may be that now is a really bad time to try to sell the house. Uh, It may be that it's difficult to find somebody to take over your lease. Um, So I can understand if you don't want to do it right away. But I, I agree. I think, too, Unless you are just unbelievably like European with all of your exes and it's just sort of like we get brunch together all the time. I think long term sharing a house with your ex, even if you're on two different floors, is not going to be sustainable for a lot of people. So you may not want to do it on his timeline um, and you may want to encourage him to consider moving out first. But yeah, if ultimately it seems like he's willing to do a lot to make your life miserable, I would start thinking about, you know, on my own timeline. Would I like to move? And and um, how are ways that I can at the least minimize my interactions with him? Like if I need to let him know that I'm not available for any more conversations about this in person, that he can go through a lawyer to talk, talk about our agreement if he needs to, but that I'm not going to be like opening the door in between our shared stairwell and like going back and forth about whether or not I'm fun to live above. That I think is fine to stop doing. Amen to that. Yeah. So the theme of today is really just conversations you don't have to have. 
especially endless conversations that are designed to wear you down rather than to like facilitate a free exchange of ideas. And there's just a lot of conversations you do not have to have if you don't want to. There's too many in life that you already do have to. So when you see the opportunity to say, I'm done with this one, you should take it. I think that that's the greatest advice ever. Glenn, truly. <laughs> thank, I, I thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like we have run the uh, the gamut um, in terms of types of problems people can have. And I'm so, so, so grateful that um, you got to help remind everyone that some problems are not so bad. Some problems can be solved. These mm-hmm. problems, a lot of them actually can be solved with a conversation. And if your problem can be, be solved with a conversation... That's fantastic. Yeah, congratulations, because some problems can't, and those ones are the hardest letters to answer. That's right. Yeah. Thank you again so, so much. Uh, Have a fabulous rest of the day. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus, and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. You're talking about something like this. What are you going to get on your body? I would find the best artist I could. Once I had the vision, I want someone who can do it right and make sure that when you choose that image, that you're putting your values into it. Your value of appropriation right now is going into that image. So you're not appropriating anyone's stuff. You've found an image that best reflects you because you're going to, this is, everyone tells you, you're going to have to live with it forever. Especially because any kind of a conversation about what cultural appropriation does or doesn't mean would need to be a conversation that included things like respect, personal relationships, context. The idea of a good place to have a conversation about this sort of thing is to message strangers I don't know on the internet and demand that they explain their own cultural or ethnic context to certain images that I've seen them draw. That just feels to me like that's not the right foundation to start that conversation. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.